You're listening to the Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. What I now understand is the pursuit of that righteousness leads to the healthiest, best life we could possibly have. That these standards that he's put in place aren't to judge us or punish us. They're because he knows us. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor, today joined, as always, by two very special guests. First, we have lead pastor Jose Avaroa. Jose, thanks for being here. Taylor. And we've got the one and only Dr. Sean Stover in the house. Sean, thanks for being here. Thanks for your message yesterday. I'm excited to unpack it. Awesome to be with you guys, as always. Awesome, awesome. Well, first, I want to talk about kind of something that, Sean, you kind of touched on from Jose's message the week before about this inside-out living. We had had the concentric circles and just this idea that it's not just about kind of behavioral management, but really focus on the heart. I'd love to kind of just hear your thoughts about why that's significant, why you wanted to pull that into your message as well as you began to talk about continuing the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Well, you know, Taylor, one of my passions is seeing where um, biblical principles actually kind of inform how we handle people in psychological situations and uh, the application of scripture in psychology. And this is one of the best examples of it. There was a school of psychology called behavioral psychology that really just worked at changing behavior. And so a lot of people studied that even in, in high school about Pavlov's dog and they'd ring the bell and the dog would, you know, salivate because it would get used to condition to that. Hmm. Well, there's a whole school of psychology around that, but it's only aimed at changing behavior. And the problem is as soon as you stop reinforcing that behavior or punishing that behavior, it goes back to right where it was before. Uh, because real change psychologically, real change individually, obviously because God made us and he knows us and he says it very clearly in the Bible, real change, real healing has to happen at the heart level. Because if we get healing at our hearts, then the behavior automatically changes. So that's what I'm passionate about is seeing people really get deep enough to make sense of what is it that's going on inside my heart that causes me to be angry? What is it that's going on inside my heart that causes me to lust after somebody that I'm not supposed to, or whatever those behaviors are, we're not happy with in ourselves, you can trace them all back to what's going on deeper inside. And I love that we follow and believe in a savior who was passionate about that as well. And that's yeah. what he's teaching us in these six different examples uh, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, that's so good. And I feel like you do such a good job of that, bringing that into your messages. I want to kind of keep going here. We've got a lot to unpack uh, today on this episode, but one kind of the beginning you talked about, both of y'all have talked about this in your message, and this is prevalent throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It's just this idea of not being like the Pharisees and not being full of hypocrisy. Sean, you mentioned in reference Matthew 23, talking about whitewashed tombs and just the emptiness there. So I get, and you expounded on this a lot as far as just the significance of we, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be believers that are uh, hypocritical, and I think our culture has seen enough of that. But how do we do that? On the Conversation Podcast, love to kind of think practically, just think about what are some ways that I'd love to hear both of y'all's thoughts on just kind of how do we avoid being hypocrites? Because I think that's something that um, we, we can be good at. We ought to be good at it. And I tell you, it's what our culture is longing for right now. They're longing for authenticity and genuineness. Young people today, they don't want to be told something that doesn't line up with somebody's behaviors or their actions. And I know that as a parent, you know, I can't expect something out of my kids and behave completely differently from that. Now, life isn't always fair and I get to do things that they don't get to do because of their age. 
I get that. And yet at the same time, I need, uh, you know, we're going to get to this, I'm sure, but not, you know, my word has to mean something to them. Mm -hmm. And my word only means something to the extent that I'm being authentic. Mm -hmm. So I need to, to believe something and I need to feel it in my heart and I need to then be willing to act in congruence with that. That authenticity is so important. And it keeps us accountable because to where you're saying with your kids, you want to set a good standard with your kids. And if you're preaching something that you're not living, especially when it comes to marriage, you know, and how I think historically sexuality has been talked about in the home, it's been more preaching than living. And I love what Jesus is doing. He's doing two things with this. One, he's raising the bar. You talked about that so well yesterday, Sean. He really is saying this is really, well, it's impossible to maintain this type of righteousness. Only Jesus attained that, and through him, we can have sanctification and all that good stuff. But the second thing that he's doing is he's normalizing it. And that's one thing that I learned preparing last week. Everyone struggles with anger. In sexuality, we all struggle with some sort of our sexuality. It's normal. It's part of the human experience, but God has the best path for us as we talk about these things. So that's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is he is talking to the hardcore issue, but in that it opens up the conversation. Okay, let's talk about, you know, what is lust, adultery, divorce, word, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's really good. As related to that, I'd love to kind of ask this is a question that Sean, you wrote in the community group outline. And so I wanted to kind of tag it to y'all, uh, which is this Just question. To be clear, we write those for other people to answer, Taylor, not, <laughs> not would, for us. Yeah, not the leaders, <laughs> right? <laughs> I want to hear your take on this one. You said, you asked, why does God want us to pursue righteousness even though he knows we can't attain it? So I know this is a common question that maybe some people are thinking of when we think about that high bar that we just talked about, but, but why and then how do we go about doing that? You know, I don't know how I would have answered that 20 years ago. I probably would have said something like, well, he's just got unrealistic expectations for us. But what I now understand is the pursuit of that righteousness leads to the healthiest, best life we could possibly mm -hmm. have. Yeah. That these standards that he's put in place aren't to judge us or mm -hmm. punish us. They're because he knows us. He created us. And he said, man, if you want to walk this path, you're going to have you're going to have trouble. Well, you're going to have trouble, mm -hmm. but you're going to have less and you're going to have more enjoyment and more fulfillment. You know, all those things that I got to say about marriage yesterday, those marriage statistics are real that you live longer, you have a happier life, your mental health is better, your income is better, your children turn out better, all those things. God designed it that way. It's like when a man and a woman fall in love, become, you know, marry, have a family, this is my best path forward for you guys and your best insulation against what the enemy throws at you. So, He's wanting us to pursue this level of righteousness, I believe, because he knows that if we keep pursuing that, we're going to get the most blessing and the most joy out of what's going on. Yeah, and it's selfless. So it's not just only best for you, but as you live that, it actually benefits other people around you. So with marriage, think about kids. You said it. Kids operate best under a two-parent household, according to what God is saying marriage is. And so we do see that in his word. That's how he's calling us to live our life. But it's not only about us. It also benefits other people. It benefits society. And so ultimately, it's important to remember that Jesus is on a mission as he's preaching. He's not only on a mission to teach his disciples, but he goes away since his Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that is still on mission. Yes, to save those around us, but also to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. That's the ultimate goal, the ultimate mission of Jesus. And so we get to be a part of that as we 
you know, continue our journey of righteousness imperfectly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Sean, you kind of touched on the, the thesis statement that, Jose, you preached on uh, last week. but And then from there, there's kind of six sections. So we're on, talked about anger last week. This time, we're going to hit three of them today. So we've got lust, we've got divorce, and then we've got oaths and our word. Um, those kind of three. So, Sean, I want to get your behind the scenes as you were preparing. I know you didn't get to pick these topics, but let's start with the first one of lust. So you get this uh, assignment, if you will. What are some things that are going through your head as you are preparing for this particular section of the message on Sunday? Well, I mean, just to be completely vulnerable and honest, I just talked about authenticity and I want to be authentic in my messages. And it, it's really hard when you read a pas- passage and you know you're going to teach on it and you know you violated it. I mean, more than I would like to admit. You know, I mean, I can't help it. I'm human and, you know, a beautiful woman may walk past and it's very difficult for me to train my eyes to not notice her. And it's not that noticing her is wrong, but then to at all linger on her or, you know, anything that robs, you know, the oneness that Christina and I have, but it's real. It's a real condition for me. I, I don't want to speak that on every man. I know that it's a real condition for a lot of men. I'm, I would go so far as to say most men, but, um, Certainly for me, it's real. So the first thing that goes through my mind is, oh, man, I'm going to teach on this and I'm up there violating this. And that's why the start to the message was so important. The realization that, hey, we're all going to fall short. I'm going to fall short. Jesus knows I fall short. And that's why he died for me. And yet at the same time, I don't want that to be an excuse. Like, mm-hmm. because this road, you start down this road of lust in our our culture and the enemy is more than ready to help you slide on down it in a, in a fast manner. Mm -hmm. You know, pornography is such a huge issue for so many people, men and women Mm -hmm. today. Um, And that didn't used to be the case either. It was a kind of a man's issue for a long time, but now men and women are attacked and bombarded with images and messages that are pornographic in nature. And it's so easy to turn your eye there or click on that place on your computer or, you know, scroll to that, that place on your phone when it comes and it opens the door for the enemy to come in and begin this path toward adultery. And Jesus is just saying, Hey, I mean, he wasn't talking about cell phones and iPads and, you know, emails at the time, but he was saying, it's going to come. You guys, the temptation is going to come. What are you going to do when it gets there? So it's a lot, man. When you asked me what I was feeling, uh, man, it's, it's my own stuff. It's thinking about my, my kids um, my boys and what they're facing and what temptations they're going to have to battle through the culture they're growing up in. It's the people in, you know, in our church that I love that I, some that I've counseled, some that I know their stories and um, man, what a difficult area, what an important area though for us to be talking about as a church. I think a lot of churches shy away from talking about this and I'm proud to be in a church that we don't skip these passages. And something you did amazingly well, Sean, yesterday, was communicate clearly both how normal it is, but also pointing to hope that this isn't, we are not identified by these sins. We're identified by the victory that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Only he could have accomplished that for us. But in that, we have victory over sin. And I I love how vulnerable you are. And I also know that you've worked really, really hard and there's been transformation in your life as there there has been in mine. I can speak to encounter retreats, which is when um, I've received incredible transformation from airing out 
the things in my past. And I think that's what happens when we as leaders talk about it is we're bringing, we're flashing like a big spotlight in an, in, a, in an area, in a subject that the enemy has such a strong foothold in because no one's talking about it. It just dwells in the darkness. But when we share, especially on a Sunday morning in front of the church, what we're saying is, look, this is an issue. <laughs> Whether you want to accept it or not, this is a real issue but man, when we bring the hope that we have in Jesus, then that expels the darkness and really allows healing uh, to happen. That's absolutely true. And I love that Jose mentioned Encounter, which is a great resource. Celebrate Recovery that yeah. we have here at the church. Another amazing resource. Uh, Steve Arterburn's book, Every Man's Battle, a great resource for men. Um, and then uh, I've got a friend down in San Antonio with a ministry that you can go to, bebroken.com. And uh, it does amazing at giving resources and counsel and wisdom around this issue of lust and pornography. Um, and then another great ministry right up the road in Austin, affairrecovery.com. These guys really help with the adultery side of things and mm -hmm. helping people pick up the pieces. It, it's not a death sentence for your for your life or your marriage if you have one of these issues. But today's the day yeah. to, to say, I'm done, and yeah. to get help and to turn it around. That's right. That's awesome. That's so good. I didn't want to move on to the next point without clarifying or just sharing some resources. So I really appreciate y'all doing that. And so, but this next one on divorce, Sean, I'll kind of piggyback the same kind of question again. What are some of your thoughts is, especially for you having seen so much through your line of work, just how um, heavy and difficult divorce is. And, and yet I think you more than anyone can just kind of see just how much discernment's required just to navigate such a difficult process. It's, it's so hard because when you stand on the stage to preach and you look out and you see the people that you know have been affected by divorce, that either themselves have gone through divorce or had families that have experienced divorce, and uh, you know some of their story. I get to know some of their stories. I'm privileged enough for them to share those with me. And I know that there are times when divorce is just, it's the option because of the amount of damage and, you know, hurt and you know, just evil that's going on in a relationship. Those are out there. And so I don't want to ever judge somebody for, for where they end up. But I do also at the same time want to be incredibly bold with the fact that, hey, but if you are married and, and if you've been divorced and you're remarried, then where you are right now, apply right. biblical that's wisdom right. Right. and God's principles because marriage can work and be the most amazing thing in the world. It'll probably be the most challenging thing most of us ever do. It mm -hmm. is pull off a successful marriage because it requires humility and sacrifice mm -hmm. and selflessness and perseverance. And it's difficult in the best of cases, but it's also so rewarding. So it's the balance of standing up there and feeling brokenhearted for the people that, you know, have experienced the, the negative side of divorce. Um, and at the same time, feeling, you know, hopeful and optimistic because I know what the institution can be. I know that when it is right, it reflects God's relationship with us and our relationship with him, which is incredibly important. And I just want to see people succeed in this area so desperately. And as, as I read those verses in Matthew chapter five, as Jesus is talking about divorce, I really feel like his heart is saying, look, I know that divorce has become really popular. I know that Moses granted you several reasons to get divorces that I feel like, you know, I think Jesus was saying, those aren't good enough reasons. That's too lax and that's too easy. You guys, there's a reason to stick it out in a marriage and persevere 
and Jesus is, I think, kind of feeling that same thing. He's like, I get that it can't, because he even gives a caveat. You know, I get that it's not always going to work, but man, you want to put everything you can into making your marriage last. Mm-hmm. And he speaks to those, well, he doesn't speak to it directly, but by talking about Moses in the law of divorce, he says later, and the, the word says later that Moses gave that because of people's hard hearts. And see, that's the problem in general, is that our hearts get hard when we stay in the dark. And so if we're serious about lust, just like if we get serious about anger, we don't have to worry about murder. If we're serious about lust, then we don't have to worry about adultery. We don't have to worry about divorce because we take things, we uproot things from a heart level. And then, you know, like the behavioral stuff that you were talking about at the beginning, Sean, the behaviors will flow out of a changed and transformed heart. So yeah, still real. And it, it is. I, I'm curious, man, because you're out there. You listened twice <laughs> yesterday and probably a, another time, Taylor, to uh, yeah, yeah, a third time yeah. to make notes and prepare for this. You're a single guy. And, uh-huh. and I know that you disciple and spend time in community group with other young men, um, you know, college age, past college age. Where does this kind of message land for you personally and for the guys that you're spending time with when you think about lust and pornography and potential marriage someday? And I mean, what are your reactions to this? Yeah, yeah, no, flipping the script. (laughs) I see it. Um, No, I think definitely the whole kind of raising the bar, Jesus raising the bar, I think is something that complacency is the biggest thing I've seen in my life or in other men's lives that, uh, truly kind of you you kind of work your way down on any of these lists or spectrums of, of kind of struggles. And that usually tends to be the first one where it's just giving up fighting, giving up trying. And so um, whether it be based on hurt or just based on this kind of circumstances or just laziness. And so I think that that's kind of just, even if not all of these three areas uh, applied to me, that, that there was just this higher level of calling just in, in all areas and aspects of my life. And then I think that part, especially even just with divorce, I think it's whether that's what God calls me to or not, as far as in a marriage, that that it is worth fighting for. And that's something that even, I mean, I'm friends with people that are married. And so being able to see if I can encourage them in any way towards that and just in conversation. And so I think that yeah, marriage is super important whether you're in one or not. And so I think as a church for us to value that is a is a big deal. So thanks, man. And you do that so well, man. You do that so well, encouraging your married friends, me being one of them, um, to prioritize marriage. So thank y'all. Before we <laughs> move on, uh, just on this divorce piece, uh, I'd love for to hear both of y'all just different resources, different ways. Sean, you mentioned kind of four. I'll just spit them off real quick. Humble yourself and submit to biblical wisdom. Go to counseling, request prayer intervention, and attend an intensive. Was there anything y'all would add to that or maybe some practical ways, just even, maybe even just when helping other couples? Because I think that for some, that could be the boat they're in. I think the important thing is that if you're listening to this, you may be the woman who is sitting over coffee and hears your friend say, hey, our marriage is just really struggling. Or you may be the man who, you know, hears somebody, you know, a buddy at work or somewhere say, man, our marriage is terrible. I think we're ready to throw in the towel. And I want you to know that you don't have to have the answers, but just point somebody toward hope. And so all you got to do is point somebody toward and say, hey, you know what? There's some really good counselors that you probably ought to try before everything else goes south. You know, there's a, you know, places in Austin, the church can give you recommendations, check out, you know, ccc.guide and let them point you toward a good counselor. Uh, they have a prayer ministry at, at Cypress Creek church, you know, point people toward the prayer ministry and let God, uh, God's people start to intervene and, and pray for you. 
um, point them toward these marriage intensives. So relationalcare.org um, is a ministry in Austin that does marriage intensives. They're really not too far up the road. They do counseling as well. Weekly counseling sessions, a great resource. The Timothy Center in Austin, I know we send people up there for marriage counseling as well. Um, the intensives.com. You could go to that website and there's a ministry up in Amarillo that does a phenomenal job at helping couples who have no hope, feel like they have no way that they're going to make it and uh, that people show up there and get help. So resources are available. I think that's a lot of the times people walk away because they're like, nobody can understand and nobody can help me. And that's just not true. I mean, we may, you know, I don't know where it ends up, but people can understand and people can get help. Shame is a powerful motivator. I think sometimes when you are experiencing divorce, you've made that decision and you think about the church, shame may come Shame may come to your heart and mind and you may not want to open up because you feel shameful. Everybody who you know, has been around any sort of church knows that the church does not condone divorce. And so I would say that people are available too. We want to be a grace-filled church. There is no shame. The Lord is in the redeeming business. And so he does beautiful things when we open up ourselves over to him. So yes, in addition to all of those great resources, um, if you're on the other side, then you have a pastoral staff, a culture in this church that's very, very welcoming. And at the same time, will help you pursue health and Righteousness according to how Jesus is calling us to live. Because again, what Sean said in the beginning, that's the best way to live life. I'm really, really convinced of that. So, yeah, I love how the attention's been put on the couples in that situation or those around. I, I don't want to move on without kind of even just hearing y'all speak to just the the broader, I don't know if I want to call them victims, but people that have been hurt because divorce isn't just impacting two individuals, it usually is surrounding an entire family. Uh, so whether we've been in a divorce relationship, you may know someone that has or your parents or grandparents or family members. So how would y'all just maybe speak to that as far as those who are just hurting and experiencing just even from a from an extended family or just their own family that this kind of re-triggers uh, maybe some of the the wounds that they've had in their in their past? Kind of the same approach we just said, whether you're the one personally going through it or you're kind of just on the outside and being affected by it first step is just to realize it it really is impactful even Mm -hmm. if it's just a friend of yours it's going through this it's it can start to make you question or start to make you concerned or help you know connect you back to some wounds from your past and don't don't do it alone don't go through it alone let somebody step in and pray for you like jose said we've got a good staff here on, on here at the church that that wants to be present in people's lives reach out and let somebody help you um, find a coach or a counselor or someone that can walk you through it. Um, there's every situation is unique, so I don't know mm, how to speak yeah. you know, to every one of those different relationships. Um, but there are common things. I mean, there's going to be sadness. There's going to be grief. There's going to be concern. Um, again, a reminder of past wounds and hurts and fears. Uh, it's it's real, and the enemy wants to use yeah. any of those places to step in and rob us of you know, mental health and wellness and, and the life that we want to live. Yeah, and the truth is exactly what you said, Sean, that the enemy 
wants to exploit that. The enemy wants to repeat those patterns. And so when we do open up and recognize the hurt, we acknowledge the pain, we process it. Then we allow God to heal that space. And I would say just from a, uh, you know, very, very broad way of thinking, sin has one agenda and that is to kill. It's to fully destroy us. And so all of that entanglement that we feel in here when we allow Jesus into that place. So what I mean is sin, even if we are not the ones sinning. So if your parents got divorced, that sin of undoing something that God did affects you. And that's actually an Old Testament way of looking at sin, because if you read Leviticus, some of the confusing passages, you're saying, well, that's kind of strange. The whole point of purity laws and cleanliness and all of that is that God cannot commune with something that is not holy, fully perfect. And so when it comes to being even around sin, we're affected by that. And so that's you. If you have uh, experienced the the weight and the pain of um, you know divorce or separation, then God's here to heal and God's here to restore uh, as you process your pain. That's really good. That's really good. The third piece of this was on oaths and keeping our word. I think with similar things that we just read in scripture, it's one of those where you hear that in church, you're like, yeah, of course, I need to, I need to keep my word. But, but when it comes to actually applying that, I'd love to kind of maybe unpack that a little further and just kind of for people, what are some common things that even in your own life that you've seen in others, maybe some pitfalls or just ways in which you, you or you've seen other people struggle with just that simple task of keeping our word? I think that one of the biggest mistakes people make is that we do a thing called over promise and under deliver by nature. Many of us today are people pleasers. And so we, we know what people want to hear. And so we say, yeah, we can do that for you. Or we can be there for you. We can, and the next thing, you know, we've over promised ourselves to the point we, our intentions are not to break an oath. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do I run into people who are like, oh, I'm just going to lie and manipulate those folks. And, you know, tell them I'm going to do that and really not do it. But, you know, we don't have that many of those people around, thankfully. Um, but we've got a lot of people, me included sometimes, that just feel like I need to say yes to everything yeah. and to everybody. And next thing you know, I've said yes to too much and I can't pull it all off. And then I've got to try to bring somebody else in to help me or I've got to rob Christina of time yeah. I should be with her or the kids with time I should be with them because I've, I'm trying to keep my word. And I should have thought from the beginning, wait a minute, I'm not sure. And I tell you, Christina and I really practically have tried to help each other with this by making each other the scapegoat. I mean, there are many times people ask me something. I'll be like, hey, you know, I got to check with Christina and then get back with you. I do check with her, but a lot of times it's just really to give me time to think about, is this something I want to commit to? Or, you know, maybe it's somebody I don't like to say no to, but if I check with Christina and it's a no, it's easier to text them than it is right there in the moment and say no face to face. I don't know what it is. But it turns out it's actually really honoring of our marriage too. Mm-hmm. If I if I say, hey, I need and people, you know, I got buddies. They'll be like, oh, you're whipped. You got to ask your wife about everything. <laughs> Whatever they can, you know, that's fine with me. Um, at this stage, it is probably what hurt my feelings before. But I don't know. There's little practical things we do to try not to overcommit ourselves. Yeah. I, mean, I preach in our family. Look, let's underpromise and let's overdeliver. Let's wow and surprise people by how well we show up not disappoint somebody by not following mm-hmm. through on something we should have. Yeah, it's it's very cultural. 
That's something that we have here that is, uh, you know, we're very friendly, but at the same time, it, we end up saying yes to too, too many things. So I think of my time in the Netherlands when um, I spent a year over there during college and people are not friendly over there. And here's what I mean. They don't have the pleasantries that we have. So when you truly ask somebody, how are you? They're either going to ignore you because they think that's too personal of a question for you to ask them, or you better buckle up and then get ready to really hear how they're doing. (laughs) If you have earned that person's trust, we are a little bit more loose with our words. And so that simple, how are you? That's just our greeting. Um, But do we really mean how are you? We really don't 99% of the time that we ask it, but we need, I think the point Jesus is what he's saying is that your words have weight. And so if you say something, mean it. If you tell someone and you're going to do something, do it just like the old, maybe not old, maybe they're young, but folks in West Texas that you were alluding to that <laughs> wake up and help you up, help you with the fence at 745 in the morning. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble from the West Texas folks, by the way. So uh, they said, yeah, they're not 30 years behind back there. Um, I got to be careful who I'm offending. Uh, yeah. I didn't know any of them had internet, so that was impressive. So they're not as far behind as I thought because they were watching the sermon. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, so bad. Uh, I'd love to kind of close up. Sean, you did a little bit of this in your message of just tying all these three together because even just throwing in last week about anger, you can kind of see the the correlation between anger and then lust and divorce, but then you got oaths in here. Kind of how how do all these four, yeah. three, four, kind of just relate? And I I think it's it's clear Jesus is building this case for the fact that on the inside we need to be a people who you know honor our, our word and live up to what we say we're going to. We need to control our temper and our anger. We need to control our lust and our looking around, and we need to be faithful to, you know, the spouse that God has given us and that we've made a covenant relationship with. And it does all wrap together. Jesus is trying to tell us this is what it looks like to live the kingdom life. And these are the attributes that I want you to continue to aspire to. One, because it's going to set us apart. It's going to allow us to really be salt and light in the world because he just talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, we're trying to, he's illustrating that point as yeah. well. If you want to be salt and light, be set apart by acting differently than the world and, and aspiring to different things than the world aspires to. So he wants us to be set apart. And he also just wants what's best for us and living life like we talked about earlier. And this, and this means is what's best for us ultimately. And it's what's best for the people around us. That's it. Let's continue to build our lives his way. And I think we're going to see some really cool things as we continue on this kingdom manifesting series. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.